Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about the single cultural work that's most inspired them. I'm Adam Ons, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up this week, you'll hear my chat with singer, songwriter, producer Elu Jay about his love for HBO's recent hit horror drama, Lovecraft Country. But first, let's have a little catch up. Happy New Year! I hope you had a nice break. Well, I hope you had a break first, and then I hope it was nice if you had it. I had a very relaxing couple of weeks. I mostly just ate, drank, and watched TV. I mean, that's all that anyone's really doing right now anyway, so just a normal couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, look, I know that a new year starting doesn't really mean shit about turning a corner with the pandemic or anything else, really, um, but I am feeling optimistic that this is going to be a good year. Or at least a better year than last year, which is not a high bar to clear, I understand. But still, uh, I'm feeling good, ready to start a new year, and I've got a great episode coming up for you. So let's kick off 2021 in style, right? I really love talking to Elu Jay. In addition to chatting about Lovecraft Country, we spoke a bit about last summer's global protests sparked by the murder of George Floyd, as well as some lighter fare. Uh, it's not going to all be too heavy here. For example, we also talked about how much we both missed going to the movies and the movies that we were looking forward to seeing that uh, didn't come out this year. So it's a balance of uh, heavy stuff and lighter stuff. It's a great conversation and uh, I hope you like it. So let's get to it, shall we? Quick Elu J facts. He is a multi-talented vocalist, producer, songwriter hailing from Oakland, California. Inspired by the music of D'Angelo, Music Soulchild, and Kendrick Lamar, Elu J started producing instrumentals and writing songs representative of his love for both neo-soul and hip-hop. The Northern California artist has been on a mission to create honest, soulful music while expressing his feelings and experiences growing up in the ever-changing Bay Area environment. Quick Lovecraft Country facts. Lovecraft Country is an American horror drama television series developed by Misha Green and produced by Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. It's based on and serving as a continuation of the 2016 novel of the same name by Matt Ruff. The series is about a young black man who travels across the segregated 1950s United States in search of his missing father, learning of dark secrets plaguing a town in which famous horror writer H.B. Lovecraft supposedly based the location of many of his fictional tales. This begins a struggle to survive and overcome both the racist terrors of white America and the terrifying monsters that could be ripped from a Lovecraft paperback. Okay, I think that is plenty of background info, so buckle up and let's get this show on the road. Here comes my chat with Elu Jay about Lovecraft Country. 
Uh, so Lovecraft Country. Usually the first question I ask is, where did you find out about it? But this is one of those things where it's like, there were billboards everywhere <laughs> all summer long. And, you know, uh, it's all over the place. But do you remember if somebody turned you on to it? I remember just lying in bed and just seeing it on, <clears throat> well, I'd seen it all over billboards everywhere in LA. And then I just like decided to just turn it on one day. <clears throat> and then, yeah, I thought it was really good. Uh, I love the, the, I just, I don't know. I, I, Jordan Peele's a genius. And, you know, I just, I just thought this was just an extension of his geniusness. Yeah. Are you, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if this is, it's sort of, sort of horror, but the, it, it's more of a drama with horror elements in it, I guess. But are you, are you a horror guy generally? Uh, sometimes. You no, know, I really liked, uh, I like A24 films. So I really liked, uh, what's that one movie called? Not Midsummer, the other one. Though. Hereditary? Hereditary. That movie's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so fucked. It's like it leaves you so psychologically fucked. I know, I know. I love the, I don't know, I just, I, I really like that movie. I, I thought it was like really well done. I think A24 is just so like, you're on point, you know? Yeah, but yeah. It was just like one of those like, how can they make modern horror films different from anything they've ever made before? So I think, I don't know, I think Lovecraft is still is in that realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like very, very good. And it's kind of starting out like it's, you know, based on, have you read the book? No, I haven't. Yeah, me either. Um, but I think after watching the whole series, what I've read about the book is that it's like a series of stories that are all kind of loosely connected. And that's what the series feels like as well, that it's like there's definitely central storylines running through the whole thing, but there are also episodes that are kind of, if not self-contained, they like focus on one character and kind of highlight them for the whole episode. So I kind of thought of it as like a, a short story collection as a TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't understand what was going on for most of it. Yeah, some of my uh, favorite, a couple of my favorite episodes are the fifth one and the seventh one. And the fifth one is the one where um, Ruby, like transforming into a white woman And that whole episode, in terms of like the horror of the whole series, that was the one that felt the most horrific to me, just like in terms of kind of gross out stuff. But also, yeah, her performance is totally amazing. Um, Do you, did you, were you disgusted by by the kind of skin falling off stuff? And first I was, but then I just like, I don't know, I I kind of got used to it. Mm -hmm. I kept doing it. I was like, oh, that's just what she does. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was, yeah. I do like that episode where she takes those white women to the south side of Chicago. I thought that was a really interesting episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was... And the white women were trying to say some, you know, racist things in the, the back room. Mm-hmm. She kind of just, like, checked them and put them in check. Or she kind of helped out that black lady that came into the store. And she had never had a white woman talk to her like that before. So it was just kind of like a... I don't know, like the symbolism was just incredible. I just thought that was just so uh, spot on, you know, of of, uh, how black people must have felt during those times and how their reaction to that was just like automatic shock. It's like, oh, you're actually showing some empathy to me, some charisma, and and, and you're actually like talking to me in a humane way. Like that's very representative of the times and for her to be shocked at that. So I thought that was like a very... uh, imperative episode for people to watch to kind of like get some historical context 
Yeah, yeah. And that, for people who haven't seen the show, uh, the character of Ruby drinks this magic potion. She's a black woman and she's able to, for a short period of time, turn into a white woman. And I thought it was really interesting that she like has that first experience of living, you know, having this white skin covering her and then decides, you know, makes a conscious choice to keep doing it because she wants to use the, the privilege that affords her, but also, um, you know, being able in that time period to just walk through the world kind of uh, either um, interacting with people in a way that she hadn't been able to, or in, in a different way, in a way that she's not able to as a black woman, but also kind of being able to exist um, to, to be invisible in a way that she's not able to as a black woman, that she can, uh, she's, you know, white, white people were able to just exist in the world without having to, you know, worry about uh, what white people were going to do or say to them. Um, and so, like you said, talking to these white women, talking to the black shop assistant and being able to kind of use whatever advantages whiteness could afford her to, uh, you know, educate people and to help people. And um, yeah, I I thought that was really interesting too. I thought it was very timely too, because, you know, you kind of draw back to like the uprisings that happened in the summer. You know, there was a lot of white people that were using their whiteness and their privilege to, to spread information to, to, to help black businesses to, uh, to kind of boost up the black community, um, whether it's, you know, allocating resources or, or, or an open dialogue with people who haven't really had this kind of discussion. Like, I thought that was like, it was very timely and it's very, very, uh, um, I don't know, like, it's very ironic, you know, that that scene is kind of representative of, of, of a lot of interactions during the summer. But yeah, I don't know. How, like, how did you feel about, you know, the, was that kind of like something that was kind of like a, did you kind of have like somewhat of a culture shock? What was going on with like the, the uprisings or is it, you know, were you like, how did you feel as a white man? Like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I'm not the kind of person who is like, that was my first time of un- thinking about how different the world is for black people than it is for white people. And I think for a lot of people who maybe don't have any experience being around or talking to or interacting with black people or just aren't critical thinkers necessarily. I mean, you know, I don't think that it means that all of these people were bad people because they didn't think about those things, but it's, it's the, again, a sign of privilege that they, you know, whether it's that they don't have any black people in their life. And so it doesn't, those, you know, issues that uh, things that black people experience that white people don't experience don't uh, come into their lives. But I, um, I was not surprised by by any of that stuff. I was amazed that, you know, all of these people were coming together, especially in this horrific, shitty year where it was really difficult for those protests to occur. And still seeing, hearing out of my window on the, I live close to a main road, hearing people marching down the street, you know, at least a few times a week. It's uh, incredible. I, I feel like, you know, the expectations for a lot of, you know, Black people, like such as myself, is that we don't really have any expectation that anybody's going to kind of lend their voice to us. You know, we've always been, you know, the world that we've grown up in that's been shaped for us is that we have to fight for ourselves. Like, there isn't really anybody that's, 
you know, out there fighting. I mean, we still have to, obviously, like the, the world is not, has not changed since those uprisings have, have occurred. There's still black people getting killed. You know, there was a man that got shot two weeks ago who was in his car listening to music. So I feel like, um, I don't know, it was a shock to everybody to, to see so much collectiveness and, 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 and inclusion among these, these issues that we have been dealing with for, for centuries. You know, black and brown people have been marginalized since the beginning of time. So in the beginning of our existence, interacting with people who aren't black or brown, you know, like that's just been something that's been our reality. So it's, it's just, it was just very, I think it was a shock to everybody, you know, to see the amount of support um, and the amount of people, you know, getting involved. So I don't know, I, I think it was a very in, in, important time period. But, you know, I, I, think, I think it's also really funny that, you know, you look on people's Instagram pages and then, you know, people are like, oh, I'm a hardcore Marxist. I'm a, you know, I got, <laughs> I'm out here at the protests and the rest of the feed is just back to normal. Right. It was like just two weeks where they just like, it, it was a lot of performative stuff, but, you know, I, I was talking to my girl about it. I was like, I, I think that, you know, regardless of it being performative, I, I feel like that it does something, you know, performative activism does something. It, it does take away from the work of, of organizers and the people who've been doing work for years, but it, you know, certain people that, you know, those people are doing performative activism, people that they're performing for, some of the people, their followers may have never understood what, you know, um, dual power is, you know, or understand uh, like the, the, the nuances of, 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 of having privilege and being white and not being able and, and not knowing how to use that privilege to to boost other black people around them so yeah um yeah i mean it, it's just really interesting you know it's such an interesting year um, yeah and i guess now the challenge going forward is to see how many of those white people continue that work and don't think of it as something that they have to do for like a finite period of time just contribute while there are huge protests happening in the street and then be able to just say well I did my part and and that's it. Especially now, like, you know, Biden winning the election, I think ha may have, uh, uh, it may encourage people to feel, white people to feel like they can just say, phew, Trump's gone, now everything's back to normal. And it's like- Exactly, I mean, you know, my girlfriend's dad always says that Trump is the biggest political organizer in America. Because mm. um, if you think about, how many people were, I mean, just regardless of, of the uprisings, when he got elected, so many people were politically involved. You know, there was just so much organizing that was here that wasn't around during the Obama, the Obama years. I feel like a lot of people just kind of acquiesced and just kind of went about their, their lives during the Obama years. They weren't that politically involved. People are, 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 are profoundly educated on what's going on right now than they've ever been ever before. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that's rose to the occasion because of, of, of how hateful the Trump administration was and, and, and how hateful the, those people, those, those, those closeted racists could finally have a voice in somebody that spoke for them, a leader that, you know, I think that was just, uh, it, it, it's just really interesting that, you know, you say that I definitely have thought, you know, like once he's elected, there's, you know, it's, the fight is not done, obviously, you know, me and you know that, but like, yeah. a lot of people are going to be like, okay, like, we don't, <laughs> like, 
it, it, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. Neoliberalism kind of leads to breeds stagnancy and, 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 and complacency. And, and yeah, I, I, I think Biden represents neoliberalism to the core, you know, corporate neoliberalism. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what happens. I I, I I I really do think that the 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 irony of the 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 show kind of coming out like a month or two after this the, the uprising is is just it's just really interesting. You know, I've seen certain conversations online that, that kind of talk about like this show being kind of controversial in the, in, in the sense of it being trauma porn. You know, people look at this 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 show as 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 a, as a something that's just kind of exploitive of, of black people's trauma. And, and I don't know, I, I don't know if you've heard of those conversations that, you know, people were kind of like really not mad, but we're, we're kind of just like frustrated with Jordan Peele. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen those kind of conversation. I've just kind of been hearing about, you know, a lot of black people being somewhat frustrated with that show because of that. Yeah. I, I've heard those kinds of criticisms. I think the things that to me didn't work quite as well about the show were throwing in historical historical events without really incorporating them into the story. And it felt like, you know, having, yeah. And also the uh, Tulsa massacre um, that I think, I mean, did you see Watchmen? I didn't see Watchmen. See that I think they kind of incorporated the history of the Tulsa massacre into the story a, a bit more effectively, but also, but I think those are two isolated incidents. Um, the Emmett Till thing I found a, a little weird as well. That it just it felt not like very, but I was just definitely like thrown off. You know, hmm. um, it's like you're trying to make this little science fiction of it, and there's no critique. I mean, it is a critique to, to Jordan Peele because I definitely think that he could have done more historical context behind that, but it, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. But outside of that, I think where it is more effective is the everyday stuff and dealing with, you know, having this genre story, this kind of sci-fi horror stuff happening, but also showing that the real horror, the everyday horror that black people experience because of racism um, and showing that as like an equal horror to, you know, monsters and aliens. Um, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's 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 that makes it less serious for people to to kind of understand and kind of cope with, because you know, the show is kind of like somewhat of a form of escapism for a lot mm-hmm. of people. So when you kind of in, incorporate those nuances into the TV show, it might lead to people taking other serious things that are going on and and make it harder for people to understand and take it more serious, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, that's something that that could, you know, that it's a good topic of discussion. Um, people don't really, you know, it is a critique of the show um, yeah. for, the, for the, for the viewers. Cause I mean, majority of the viewers are probably white people, you know, those are the people who, white people are probably the people who have the leisure time to watch TV, who own televisions, who have HBO, um so i mean when you're educating people you can't i don't i I just don't think alleviating the seriousness and the depth of historical context works you know i I think Uh that that that, um hinders it hinders um the uh 
um, actually like understanding it and comprehending um, what's going on and, and kind of like understanding that it's still going on. You know, there's still Emmett Till. There's still, um, you know, every, 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 if you count up the amount of people getting killed every two to three years, it, it equals to a Tulsa massacre, you know? People kind of understanding that, that those nuances instead of just kind of just looking at it, like, oh, monsters. Uh, so, I mean, that's my only thing, you know, hopefully it, it educates people. Hopefully they, 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 they watch the show. They never heard of, of, of those two things that, that happened and, and kind of like want to do more research that, you know, that, that's also another, the duality to it is that, you know, maybe people get more educated mm-hmm. because um, they might not have been educated in a way that is more formal because they're not that interested in reading and they kind of need a visual aspect of something that's kind of more relatable to what they're interested into Yeah. to kind of attain that information. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's, a, there's a lot to, to learn and critique from this show and, yeah. and, and to credit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think also it's interesting that historically horror as a, as a genre has not necessarily had the best representation for black people, for brown people, for anybody who isn't white, straight. Uh, and there's a there's a, uh, a, a book that was turned into a documentary called Horror Noir that's about the history of black people in horror. And they kind of talk about the progression, you know, starting out with black people as the people who are supposed to be feared in in horror through to, you know, black people playing supporting characters to now where there are opportunities like this show, you know, like uh, Jordan Peele and Misha Green um, being the people who are not just coming up with these ideas, but are executing them. Misha Green being a black woman uh, as the showrunner of this show and having black creators being able to take the reins and make this work and develop stories that are explicitly about the black experience in the context of horror. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, besides the lack of, of, of proper representation, there hasn't been really any horror for black people, you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, when this first came out, I was very, you know, I, I, I was taken away by that. I thought that was really cool. You know, you don't really watch the show and start thinking of the critiques right away because it's so new and it's so like, this has never been done before. So I'm not going to critique it. I'm just going to watch it as a fan, as a fan mm. of Jordan Peele's past work and and you know he, he's taking on a lane that no one is in right now you know that's black horror i don't think there's anybody who's doing it like him who's ever done it like him mm-hmm. you know and, and and the leprechaun in the hood doesn't have doesn't count yeah and um yeah i think you know he's doing interesting stuff with it I'm, I'm excited whenever you know whenever movies can start coming out again the like Candyman sequel that he produced. Yeah, I, I'm I'm ready for that that goddamn um, Wes Anderson that Wes Anderson film with with Timothy Chalamet. That shit <laughs> incredible. I'm so mad that it it was supposed to come out in July, and uh, you know obviously because of the pandemic, there they said that oh we'll put it on Amazon Prime for you know in August, and then they kept being like oh we'll do it in October, and then they're like finally like. They don't have, it's just tentative. It's just like, they're waiting until movie theaters are going to fill up again. And I'm like, right. bro, just release the fucking movie. 
Yeah. As a Wes Anderson film, it's gonna get. I think it's even smarter for you guys to do a rollout online. Yeah. People, like once this comes back, once we, we 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 come back to any kind of sense of normalcy, people are gonna be scared to go to movie theaters. People are gonna be scared to do normal shit. Yeah. It's gonna take a, There's gonna be a grace period um, of, of 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 fear until I, I don't know. Maybe maybe five ten years. Who knows? Who knows yeah. how long it'll take for people to just stop being scared of this virus, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it like <laughs> going to the movies is one of the last things to come back too, because you can have concerts outside, you can have, uh, you know, do theater outside, but a movie theater is a, you know, it's a confined space. It's a dark confined space and you're really close to other people. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a while. We'll see what happens with, have you heard about this? Like uh, the HBO Max, you know, Warner releasing all of their 2021 big movies straight to HBO Max on the same day as they're releasing it in the theaters. I didn't hear about that, but you know, they better have that Wes Anderson film on there because I've been dying to watch that all year. You know, I, <laughs> I've been dying. I, I've watched all of his movies, man. And I am a huge fan. I think Wes Anderson is just the GOAT, you know? Yeah. So, and like you said, it's a small movie or like comparatively small movie. So it's like, just get it out in the world. Just get it to us. I don't know. I, like, I'm just trying to understand, like, what do you think was, like, their thinking of putting it back? Why are they holding it back? What is the, I, like, what goes, what is going through the, the, the marketing people? Like, wh why can't they just release it? Yeah. Like, wh why, why are these, are, are, they, are they scared about how much it's going to grow? Some, are they worried about that? Are they trying to make it such a big blockbuster that, you know, it has to... It's been Wes Anderson's like debut since Isle of Dogs or whatever. And we want to make sure this is just on point. Like, what is it? I want to know. Yeah. I, I think maybe like at the beginning, people were hoping that this wasn't going to go on for very long. And there were just like little, you know, we're going to push it back a couple months and then another couple more months and then another couple more months. But now I've seen movies getting delayed a full year. Yeah. You know, concerts, all that type of shit, man. Yeah. I just don't know what's going on, man. Like, I... I I can't wait till things are back to normal, bro. Because I know this is so depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, but and uh, on the kind of lighter side of this show, I think having that episode with um, Hippolyta, like going into outer space and whatever, was incredible. Like that to me was like this full kind of fantasy, uh, you know interplanetary travel stuff just kind of blew my mind. And it was so like out of the blue, doesn't really fit in with the, any of the episodes for the rest of the series. It kind of stood out to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, that was a really, I mean, I feel like a lot of, sh a lot of episodes didn't really fit, you know, um, like the one where he was in war in Asia. Like, yeah, yeah, it's weird. I, I feel like, it, and I think that was like the theme of it. I, I think a lot of the episodes, they just didn't, you know, they were just kind of like, it was arranged. It was like the the idea of having a range, you know what I mean? Not just it being a certain theme of you know '60s uh, Jim Crow type shit. Like I, I think it was just kind of like supposed to be. He made it that he made it the show this way in order to 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 show that there's so many different worlds that this this these characters can live in. I, I think that's amazing. You know, there's not a lot of TV shows that do that. Usually, when you watch a TV show, it's in one world. Right. you know new girls one apartment you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's just 
it's interesting how he's been able to create so many different worlds. It's almost like I've watched like how many episodes? Was it like eight, ten mm-hmm. episodes? Yeah, I think eight. It feels, it feels like I watched eight different fucking movies, you know? Yeah. Um, or am I lying? Maybe it was ten. Yeah. Ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I like I'm I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get a second season or not, but when they're not adapting a book anymore what they're going to do if it's going to be more kind of standalone stuff like that and there are shows you know it make kind of makes me think of like the x-files or something where it's like there are certain episodes that are about the whole big story that's kind of the entire series like the the through line for the whole thing and then some that are kind of self-contained episodes using those same characters and i kind of felt the same way about this that you know the characters still relate to each other the things that happen in those standalone episodes become part of the bigger story, but they're still kind of these self-contained, weird things. Shout out to Jordan Peele. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, Also, that woman, uh, Woon Mi Musaku, who plays Ruby, is in a movie called His House on Netflix um, that came out like about a month ago. And that's another horror movie that's like about a couple who are Sudanese refugees who come to the UK and they get assigned to live in this house and they're told that they have to stay in this house or they're going to be deported and the house is haunted. It's like what, amazing. What is the, the, the movie called? His House. His House. Yeah. And she's so incredible in it. She's such a good actor. She's English as well. I always am amazed when people are that good at doing an accent that's not their own. Have you watched the audition? Mm. Mm-hmm. Fucking that is a crazy movie. Yeah, yeah. That kind of reminded me of that episode. It was obviously different, but like just like this idea of seduction and, and horror. Like, yeah. I, I I thought they pulled some kind of reference from it. I kind of just, I don't know. Yeah. It was not because she was an Asian woman. It was just like, I don't know. I, I just felt like the dynamics of that episode and watching the audition, I, I watched it like within the same week and I just kind of remember just being kind of like drawing a lot of comparisons this idea of like death and seduction and those, I don't know. But it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a really good movie. Yeah. I feel very satisfied. You feel good? Yeah. I feel good. How are you feeling? Good. Um, I, I think we got it. Um, yeah. uh, thank you so much for making time for me. I like how you just do a podcast and just talk about shit. Not necessarily about the other person. It's just like we're just gonna talk about. We're just gonna have a conversation. Like I've known you for years. I like that idea. It's cool. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun. Yeah, man. All All right, right. man. How's it going? You too. Take care. Bye. Thanks again to Elu J for talking to me. Do yourself a favor and check out his music. It's really great. Uh, Okay. Quick inspirational artwork of the week from me. I've been going back through Joan as Policewoman's back catalog recently, particularly her debut album, Real Life, and even more particularly, the title track from that album. It's an album that was released during the worst year of my life, the year my dad died, and and there was something about it that I really found comforting and cathartic. Her voice is really beautiful, but really raw sounding, and the title track from Real Life is mostly just her voice and a piano, and it's simple and beautiful and kind of romantic. It's a great song for gazing wistfully out your window on a winter afternoon. So if you find yourself in that situation, give it a little listen. And there you have it. 
that's it for this week. If you like this show, please tell your friends about it. It really, really helps. And it's free. Win-win, right? Okay, have a super fun week. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Stay the fuck home as much as possible. And until next time, bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.